Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we will hear from Pastor Bill Wilson on the empty tomb. Now here is Pastor Bill. When we speak his name, things happen. Would you just lift your hand toward heaven, Father? We thank you this morning that we don't serve a dead God, but an alive God. What a powerful name, the name of Jesus. And we speak Jesus over this place today, over everyone that's come and those who are watching. We praise your name in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you turn to a person close to you and say, hey, you look great for an Easter Sunday morning. Wow, wow, wow. I knew it was Easter Sunday morning because I'm on, um, I'm on a national leadership team of about 25 people from all over the United States. And I made a mistake last night. I left my phone next to the bed and at four o'clock in the morning I started getting rings on my phone, messages, and I had the light on the phone as well. And it kept going off. And I knew it was my friend from New York. It was my friend from, they were saying, Happy Easter. <laughs> He's risen. And um, Joy said, would you turn that silly thing off? So I'm here. Our marriage is fine. But there were a few moments early on on Easter Sunday morning. There was a little tension. You get my drift? You know what I'm saying? Hey, an ortho, the Orthodox greeting that took place in the early church began there, and it was a greeting that uh, you're probably familiar with. The, the pastor would come out, the shepherd would come out, and he would say, he is risen, and the people would shout back, he's risen indeed. And in fact, it became such a part of the culture that the believers would see each other on the street, and as they were walking past each other, they would say, hey, yo, what's going on? As a signal of faith, they would say, he is risen. And the other person would say, he's risen indeed. Are you up for trying it? He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Wow. Wow. There are 31,201 verses in our Bibles, our English Bibles. There are 31,201 verses in our English Bibles. And this morning, if you would allow me for a few moments to talk with you from God's Word on a few of the key lines that are so powerful and we're so grateful they are in the, verse, uh, the verses of the Bible. I'd like to read them. And in fact, I'm going to zero in on just really two segments of what we call the resurrection story. In John chapter 20, and that's in the New Testament, the fourth book in from the New Testament, and also in Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. So you have the four Gospels. And what I'll read today is one camera angle of the events of the resurrection. I want to show you a photo, or a, actually it's a pencil sketch. It was sketched in 1898 before I went to high school. I just say that because my kids are watching, and I just want to reinforce the fact. 
So in 1898, a fellow by the name of Eugene Vernon sketched this, what we would consider artistic rendition of two men. I want to ask you, as you look at that picture, what do you see? As you look at that, what do you see? Obviously, two men. Do you see in their eyes any desperation? Do you see anxiety? Do you see question? Do you see perhaps fear? Do you see how they're leaning a little bit? So they must be making their way quickly to something that has arrested their attention. I'm, I'm wondering what they're thinking. Not only in their physical, because you can, you can read people's body language. A lot of us are pretty good at that. You, you can tell when your junior hire isn't having a good day. You can tell by their body language. You can tell, men, when your wife is not real happy with you, right? You can tell. Wives, you can tell when your husband's football team has lost you, the body language. In that picture, what do you see? I want you to look at that picture because I want to read from John 20 and see if there's any correlation here of what you see and what was taking place. John chapter 20, verse 1 begins this way. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, Mary is one of the converts of Jesus whose life was an absolute wreck. Uh, it, it would be one of those testimonies that we would say would be X-rated if they, they stood up here and shared their background and their story. You would say, hey, don't tell me all the details. I get the picture. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So these two characters that we see are the rendition, Vernon's rendition of Peter and John. Which one's Peter? He's the old guy. Who's the other guy? John. It's interesting, John never mentions his name in the Gospel of John. But yet in the text, he says, the one whom Jesus loved. <laughs> Reminds me of my mom. She always loved me more than she loved anybody else from what I, I gathered. So I... <laughs> so Peter and John, and notice John is much younger. And see how Vernon's uh, photo, this is a pencil sketch, which is fascinating to me, how he puts John in front. And the Bible says that John gets to the tomb and he sees that it is open, but he's afraid to go inside. He's a little more timid. He looks in, however, and he sees that the linen is folded very nicely and then he also sees that there is the head cloth that was around the head of Jesus, wrapped around Jesus' head, removed from the linen, sitting there. But Peter shows up, Mr. High Personality. He runs right past John, no hesitation, goes right into the tomb. How many of Peter's do I have right now in the room? 
run right in and he inspects everything to make sure that what Mary says to him is true. And at the end of the 10th verse of this reading of John chapter 20, capturing a glimpse of what happened on the third day, on the third day, it says, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So here's one of the four detailed gospel accounts of the resurrection or the third day. You'll recall that each of these gospel accounts capture versions of the same story with other details, depending on the audience that originally received their writings. And you find that in the, in the case of all of these accounts, the disciples have been shocked by the arrest of Jesus. They have, been, they have observed the illegal trial. They uh, observed the merciless beating that Jesus received and the cruel, horrible con- crucifixion of Jesus on the cross, as the Romans were well known for their crucifixions. They are in despair. They are shocked. They are stunned. They are, frankly, very scared and uncertain what the future holds. As we look at this photo, we, we know that that's what's in their minds. And the other gospels tell us that women went to, to the tomb. They were hoping that they could give Jesus a proper burial. Their lives had all been impacted, including certainly the mother of Jesus, Mary. And when they arrive, the tomb is, the, the stone in front of the tomb has been removed and the seal has been broken. And they look and they find that it is empty. And Mary Magdalene, John tells us, runs back to the disciples and says they have taken the body of Jesus. And in this sketch that Byrne ends has given to us, we see that he's trying to capture John and Peter, either on their way to the tomb or now going back to where the disciples were in disbelief. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Empty means that something's missing. Empty means that it's vacant, it's bare, it's deserted. There's the feeling of loss. There is that sense of emptiness in your own spirit when you are empty. When I think of empty, I don't think of a gift, honestly. Uh, I, I think of a disappointment. I arrived and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I was disappointed. I was let down. Uh, I think of the time that I ran out of gas when I was in high school and my old Chevrolet out in the middle of nowhere at the middle of night all by myself. I forgot to put gas in the car. And the gauge read empty, and I thought I could get home. But I ran out of gas in the middle of nowhere. I remember making my way down that dark, long driveway to a farmhouse that had no lights on, hoping that the farmer didn't show up with a shotgun to figure out what this young kid was doing in the middle of the night in his property. Empty. By the way, I always fill my gas up with tank with gas now cost me $150 the other day, but I will do it. (laughs) Empty. You get a gift card as a gift. You go to the register. You're excited because you're buying stuff that you couldn't afford. You hand the card to the, the cashier, and they look up at you and say, sorry, the card is empty. Somebody who bought it for you forgot to fill it up. Empty. 
Mom, there's no milk in the milk jug. It's empty. What are we going to eat? Empty. Empty in perhaps your bank account. Empty perhaps in your relationships. Empty perhaps as some of our pastors have wrestled with in 24 months of a church that once was full and now is empty. The pain and agony. Empty doesn't seem like a gift. Who of us in this room would drive through Starbucks or Dutch Bros and make an order and, and uh, say, I want a coffee and, and pull out your six bucks or your credit card, pull up to, to the window and have that person, hey, how you doing today? What's going on in your life this morning? Uh, what are you going to do the rest of your life? And uh, you hand them the $6 or the credit card. They take the amount off the card and then they hand you an empty cup and you drive out and say, now that was a great experience. How many of us like empty as a gift? And yet, just as Jesus has done in your life and in my life, he steps in where there is emptiness and fills it. Why? Because the tomb's empty. The tomb's empty. You could either live a life that's like this, empty, or you can live a life full. And because Jesus emptied out the tomb, he gives you the opportunity to be full. So one day I'm getting ready to go to lunch and I walk out of the lobby of the church to go to my car. When in walks this man who appeared to be distraught. I'd never seen him before. He seemed to be a little overwhelmed with the cares of life. His name I would learn is Bob. He said, hi, I'm Bob. I said, I'm Bill. And what he said to me next I'll never forget. I'll never forget what he said to me in that hallway. We had never met before, but I knew that something, something was wrong. You see, in life, there are moments like that when we feel empty. Listen to the words of Matthew chapter 28, another version of what we just read from John. It says, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified and here's the words. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples. You see, actually, the empty tomb is a life-giving answer for the emptiness we feel in our life. Life can be filled with that gift. He is risen. He is not here, just as he said. Just as he said. What does the empty tomb mean to us this morning on this Easter in 2022? What does it mean? First of all, I think it provides for us, the empty tomb, the gift of redemption. Redemption. You were looking for Jesus, Matthew 26, 6 says, Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. Crucified. Redemption is the whole story of Easter. Without Easter, there would be no redemption. It is the picture of Jesus, not only death on the cross, a Roman cross, but the resurrection on the Sunday, the resurrection from the dead. He not only died for your sins and my sins, and there are many for me, I don't know about you. And the reason he did that is because your life, every one of you here, no matter your age or your background, you matter to God. And Easter is all about you matter to God. All Easter is all about the church saying, you matter to God, because he is risen, and he has provi provided redemption. 
Redemption is a, is a great word in the Bible. It's an expression of the deepest possible love a person can show in a relationship. In other words, you know you own a debt. You owe a debt you could not pay. And yet, someone expresses their deep love for you and takes care of that debt. We are known in Scripture as a kinsman redeemer. It actually means a family member who steps up with the resources to rescue you uh, and is able to meet your need. Perhaps you've heard of stories of people who've, who uh, were sold into slavery and someone comes along and pays the price so that person does not have to live in slavery. I remember I was riding in a car with a pastor that I was serving with as a youth pastor. Joy and I were living from week to week. Uh, she was teaching school and I was a youth pastor and, and there wasn't always a lot of money in the month and so we, we were very careful in how we spent our money. And I remember the pastor gave me some great advice. This is what he said. You know, Bill, you better buy a house. You better buy a house. And I thought to myself as he was saying, I didn't say it out loud, okay? I just thought to myself, I'd like to buy a house, but based on the salary you're paying me, I'll never be able to buy a house. <laughs> he said, you need to get into a house. It's a good retirement plan. I was 23 years old. I'm not thinking about retirement. I'm just thinking about you know, making the, the rent payment. And I remember that when we moved to Portland in 1977, a man came to me and said, hey, I'd like to build you a house. And I said, hey, I'd like you to build me a house, but I don't have any money. He said, all you'll need is $10,000. That's like a million dollars to me. And he said, all you need is $10,000 to get in and you'll be fine. And I remember Joy and I were talking about it and praying about it, and we got a call one day from a relative who I don't know how they ever heard we were even talking about this, except God spoke to them and said, we, we're in a very good position right now financially, and we feel like you need to buy a house, and we're writing you a check for $10,000 so you can buy a house. That's a kinsman redeemer. We had before us an opportunity, and someone came and paid the price. And Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sins. I don't care what you did. You could be a Mary Magdalene or you could be John the Beloved. Somewhere in between, he has provided as a result of the empty tomb an opportunity for your redemption. But there's more to the story. More to the story. Not only did he send his son into the world that we might receive him, but he has given us the power of resurrection. Resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Resurrection. Jesus is not only our Savior because he died. He's our Savior because he lives again today. You are and I were dead in trespasses and sins, and yet <clears throat> he came and made us what we are today, saved people. <clears throat> we were dead in our spirit. And... We didn't know the love of God and his grace. But through his empty tomb, you would now experience the possibility of being resurrected in your life. Jesus is resurrected. That proved that he was God, and it also provided for you hope and life. He took your emptiness and gave you a full life because of his wonderful resurrection. I did something this week I don't do very often, and I don't mind because I get to hang out with Joy for a while, but I went to Hobby Lobby. 
God bless the greens. They have done very, very well in buying stuff from other parts of the world and selling it to you. Uh, fairly reasonable. Great Christian people, by the way. And, <clears throat> but the thing about going to Hobby Lobby for me, now I may be different than some of you. There's only three aisles that appeal to me at all. The rest is made for women who love to do stuff and get good deals. So we walk in to Hobby Lobby. This is what goes on. Joyce says, how much time do we need? I said, it's not me, it's you. How much time do you need? We'll meet in such and such a place at such and such a time. Because Hobby Lobby, you could get lost there. You could get lost. And so I go to the three aisles that appeal to me. It has to do with automobiles, sports, and I'm not a hunter, but they have hunting stuff. And I could spend uh, maybe five minutes there. <laughs> there might be one other aisle of, you know, model cars and paints and stuff, because that's kind of a fun thing for me as well. But uh, that's, that's really what it's about. So I'm, I've spent my five minutes. I've looked at everything that I need to look at. And a young man comes by, and I notice he's doing the same thing. He's kind of hanging out, waiting for whoever he's with to finish whatever they're doing, which could take a couple of days, really, when you think about it for some. And so I just started talking to him briefly and immediately discovered he was a believer, 19 years old. He's just finished high school. He's going to go to college. He's thinking about where he should go to school. He's very in interested in engineering, and yet we had a great conversation. As we talked, I realized two strangers standing there, he's risen, he's risen indeed, standing there, what do we have in common? We have been resurrected. We have been resurrected. The life of Jesus has come into a 19-year-old who probably hasn't a lot of offenses in his life. He seemed like a, a pretty uh, wonderful young man who lived a, a pretty clean and, and godly life. And then there's this older guy uh, not 19 anymore, but older guy who has had a lot of life and knows a lot of mistakes he's made in life. And we're both standing there. What do we have in common? We're not, we don't have this, any family connections, but we are believers in a resurrected Christ. Resurrection. And there's one other gift that God gives you. And that's the gift of re relationship. Relationship. Notice what it says says, he is not here, he is risen. But go tell his disciples and Peter. And in the original text, it says, especially Peter. Have you ever had one of those people you especially tell? The reason, as you know, and perhaps you don't, but you may recall that the, the night in which Jesus uh, was crucified, that Peter addressed and, and uh, denied Jesus three times. He's around a fire watching this mock trial go on, and uh, a young lady, servant girl, says, hey, 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 I've seen you before. You're one of those guys, aren't you? No, not me. Uh, no, 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 no. I've seen you with Jesus. You're, you're like one of his followers, aren't you? No, 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 not me. No, no, no. Hey, you're not telling me the truth. You are one of those followers of Jesus. No, not me. I don't even know who he is. And that haunts Peter. In that picture we saw, 
In his mind, I am thinking he's going and he's realizing I have sinned and denied Jesus. I've broken the relationship. And some of you hearing my voice this morning know that you have broken that relationship. But you know what Jesus does if you read on into the Gospel of John? Jesus goes and meets Peter at another fire. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? What was he doing? He was reestablishing a relationship. And Easter, if any time in the calendar, is a good time to make sure you've reestablished your relationship with Jesus. It's at Easter because he's risen. He's risen indeed. So as I stood there with Bob in that lobby on my way to lunch, we spoke and he shared with me that his wife had left him. He was trying to raise a a daughter by himself as a father. He had lost his job and he was in desperate need and he was driving by the church and he'd never been in the church before. Thank God for church buildings. And he was driving by the church and he felt compelled to pull into the parking lot. He felt compelled to get out and come into the lobby. He wondered, maybe if I go into the building, this despair and distress will be lifted. And when he said, I need to talk to a pastor, I said, well, I'm a pastor. He said, you are? I said, yes. And right there in the lobby without a organ or music or a sermon or anything. I simply told him about Jesus' love for him. The resurrected Jesus, not the dead Jesus on a cross. The resurrected Jesus who could come and redeem his life, who could come and give him relationship, who could come and give him a resurrection and take his empty life and fill it once again. And we knelt down right there in the lobby. I'll never forget it. I don't think I have ever done that with anybody else, but we knelt right there and I said, Bob, if you'll pray the simple prayer, dear Heavenly Father, I have sinned. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me. And on that day, he prayed that simple prayer out of faith and he became a new man. And the emptiness of his life was exchanged for the fullness of Jesus' life, all because of an empty grave. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He's not in the grave anymore. He is alive. Go tell the disciples. Look to the screen this morning as you hear the wonderful words, no other king. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com. Or join us for our live streams at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com.